<laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Yurich. I am the founder of 1000 Hours Outside and here uh, with me for the second time is my friend Jennifer Pepito. Welcome. I'm so excited to be with you, Ginny. When we podcasted the first time, I don't think I had met you in person yet. Mm-mm. And then oh. we got to go to Dollywood together with our children, which was so much fun. Our kids really hit it off and we had such a wonderful weekend in Pigeon Forge with you guys. Yes. You know, it's interesting because um, I think on my own personal journey, sometimes when you're doing what you feel like you're supposed to do, you also feel guilty about it because it takes time. And um, But what I'm finding is that the the path, our own path, and the path of our family and the path of our kids, it's like they all intersect, right? So it's like our kids connected and they have such sweet relationships and Vivian always talks about Ella and they've done music things together. So yeah, it's so true. I feel like us as moms having some kind of a dream and, you know, our, 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 as parents having something that we're excited about that's keeping us alive is an example to our kids. Yeah, it is. And a lot of times it brings them along a path that enhances their lives too. So that's yeah. what I've been finding. It's real encouraging. So so Jennifer, you have a new book coming out. Huge congrats. Thank you. Thank oh, you. It's, it's like beautiful. having a baby. Do you know what I mean? Writing it a book is. is like having a baby. It so. is. Yeah, except that when you're done, there's still some like anxiety that lingers. <laughs> Right. It's maybe you know, like it's, having a baby and then launching an adult at the same time. You know what I mean? Because it's out in the world. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree with you. So your book is called, I just think it's so clever. And the idea of it is so fantastic. Mothering, it's unique. Mothering by the book, the power of reading aloud to overcome fear and recapture joy. So it's beautiful. I loved it. So huge congrats. I'm going to read a little bit about you. Jennifer is the founder of the Peaceful Press, an edu- beautiful education resource company dedicated to ca- helping families overcome fear and enjoy their children. So you have curriculum. This is what we talked about last time, things to help. Um, and we talked a lot about the early years and just ways to make them enchanting and rich and full. Your writing has been featured in Wild and Free, Charlotte Mason Poetry, Commonplace Quarterly, and Homeschooling Enrichment. You are a simplicity parenting coach, which I forgot about. Actually, we talked about that last time, um, but I forgot about it until I retyped it out. A certified life coach and a wild and free podcast host, which is where we initially cross paths. You live with your husband and children in the mountains of California. You enjoy reading great books, drinking coffee, and hanging out with your family. So it's just beautiful. Um, and so you have this new book. And I remember when you first told me about it, I think what's fascinating about it is we talk so often about the power of reading aloud for our kids. And there's a lot of information out there about how it helps them with their vocabulary and it helps them with these different situations. But your book is about how reading aloud helps us as mothers and as families. So tell us about what sparked this and, um, and your yes. journey, your journey here. Well, I'm a mom. I think that automatically says that we deal with some fear. Do you know what I mean? And, and there's different levels. Like one mom might be totally afraid of, living in the country and another mom might be out there like butchering chickens with her bare hands or whatever while um but then totally scared of going to the city do you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. as moms we all have these fears 
But what I found through my years of being a mom is that the fear was sucking the joy out of our family. You know, I was worried about giving my kids the best childhood ever and worried about making life magical for them. And then I wasn't making it magical because I was so worried about it. But as I was reading books, I was seeing, you know, how, I mean, in the Little Bridges books, the father... Uh, passes away and the mom has to try and make a living by herself and the family all gets on board and they're working together and they're having these adventures together. And I thought, you know what? We're going through a hard time ourselves. We're going to have, we're going to make it into an adventure, you know, or I saw how um, in the Shackleton's endurance, they were out there on an iceberg for months trying to survive the Arctic winter. And they, you know, all those men survived because of Shackleton's leadership and I thought, you know what, I can be brave and be a good leader in my family. So, you know, I I, re- I always am reading self-help books also, but it was the stories that really mm. made these lessons come alive for me. Yeah, it really inspired me, Jen, because I'm a self-help book reader as well. And a lot of it has to do with getting ready for podcasts, but I do really enjoy those books. And so when I was going through your book, I was like, oh man, I haven't read a bunch of these. So it's inspiring for me to go back. I read Charlotte's Web and I read The um, the Little Women and I read, uh, not Little Women, Little House on the Prairie. I've read Little Women too, but Little House on the Prairie. And then I'd read The Hiding Place, but all these other ones I haven't read yet. So I'm so excited to, to go back through and really dive in. Um, I just love that concept of how reading these books, they help you become a better parent and a better person and braver. And so, so the, um, the setup of the book, Jen, it's really cool. It's so unique. And I just, it's so clever mothering by the book. I just really it obviously is a play on words because I, I believe that, you know, mothering isn't necessarily there's some handbook where you do exactly this and you get it right. We're all unique and our kids are so unique. So it's a tongue in cheek saying that mothering by the story. Yeah, I just, I love it. It's so clever. So you go through all of these different fears and they're so relatable. And then you weave in a book, you know, a book that you would actually be reading aloud with your kids and that you're still getting something out of it as a parent, which I just think is so brilliant. So you talk about the fear of the baby years, which is such a fear and being alone, the fear of our children falling behind, of leaving our faith, of leaving our family identity, living for a greater purpose, failing our children, all of these different things. Um, And so I really like I loved it. I loved it. So Jen, way to go. I can't wait for other people to read it. So, okay. Can we start with, um, can we start with a couple of the books that I've actually read? Yes, for sure. (laughs) Then I'm going back to read the other books. This, I loved how also at the end of each chapter, you gave book lists. Book lists are the best. So at the end of each chapter, you have a little study guide. You weave your faith in there. You've got verses to memorize, which is so beautiful. And then, um, you know, you have books, more books to read aloud and books that are just for mom. And so um, it's such a, it's a rich book. You get so much out of it. So, okay, so I've read Charlotte's Web. And in Charlotte's Web, you talk about this concept of being up against a wall. Uh, The pig was up against a wall, right? It's going to get butchered. And that sometimes you say, sometimes in our lives as mothers, we are simply up against a wall. Babies are crying. Toddlers need help finding their shoes. School-aged kids must finish their homework. 
we are pushed to the edge of our endurance and left gasping for air. And you talked about your own children, doctor's appointments and needing to go for seizures and just this intensity of children's needs. So, so what did you learn from Charlotte's Web about how to deal with those times that I think that we all as mothers go through to varying degrees of difficulty? Yeah, I think this is one of the most important lessons in the book because I saw in the book how Charlotte spoke words of life to Wilbur, even though, you know, he was just a little runty pig. He was nothing. But Charlotte started saying, you're a terrific pig. You're a radiant pig. And Wilbur lived up to the identity that Charlotte spoke to him. And I think sometimes we have these difficult kids, you know, we're trying to get outside for our thousand hours outside and we have a kid who whines every time or we're trying to go spend time in nature and we have a child who won't walk barefoot on the grass or you know we, there's all these things that our children are dealing with and and that was part of what instigated this is I have a child with a sensory processing disorder and so a lot of things were hard for her it, there was a season where you know she had seizures it left her confused there was um, just intensity on intensity and it was hard for me to even find an encouraging word to speak to her but I saw a neurodevelopmental therapist who said, you know, just make a recording of words and play it for her when she goes to sleep at night. And some of those words didn't even really feel true to me at the time because she was struggling so hard in so many areas. But, you know, you think about even the story of the spies in, in the Old Testament. It talks about how some of them went in and they saw a land filled with giants and it was so scary. And others went in and they saw a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was all perspective. And I think as moms, we have to just uh, switch our perspective a little bit. And especially towards ourselves. You know, we can be hard on our kids, but I think even more, we can be hard on ourselves and start saying, I'm such a terrible mom. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't believe I yelled at my kids. I might as well give up. And then we stop doing the good things that we know to do that will really enrich and beautify our lives and our children's lives just because we made a mistake. Yeah, I love that. And we can be Charlotte to everyone. You know, yeah. we can be the one that says you're radiant and you're worthy. And and I love what you just said about that Old Testament story. I think you have mothering by the book and you weave the Bible in and your faith just so beautifully throughout the entire book. And I know people have, they have different beliefs and different things, but there are really important life lessons that we learn there too. And so I love how you did that. It's woven all the way through and and so beautifully and you know, like that story about how we look at things. And you talk about you talk about words in terms of complaining in the Little House book, which I a book series, which I thought was super interesting. That complaining may shrink the hippocampus, which I never know if I actually say that right. Uh, I think that sounds right. But, okay, I'm going for it. <laughs> if it was Latin, it'd be hippocampus, I think. But. <laughs> okay, I like that sounds better than what I said. It's kind of an odd word, but an area of the brain critical to problem solving, and it, Complaining also releases the stress hormone cortisol, which lowers our immune response. So in the Little House on the Prairie series, she, I mean, she really does deal with so much and there's no iPad, you know, to hand over to the kid and there's not a ton of community. She's very alone. So, um, so and, and you're really vulnerable in this book, Jen. You talk about seasons of complaining and how you wish you could have gone back and had a different perspective. So can you tell us some of the uh, the things that we can get out of that Little House on the Prairie series 
in that context. Yeah, for sure. And obviously Ma dealt with a lot of fear. That's part of why some people hate Ma is because she was so fearful and then would condemn people who are different than her because of her fears. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and that's what fear does is it makes, um, makes the world seem like a scary place and it makes us not like people who are different than us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but I did see her, even though she was so afraid, you know, when like her husband was lost in a blizzard and they didn't know if he was ever going to make it home and instead of like going and laying on her bed and just melting down and crying in her covers she tried to make the atmosphere happy for her kids mm-hmm. and I think that is so important for us as moms like you know the world there are some scary things in the world right now we don't know what's happening but ma even though you know husband lost in the blizzard and he was probably going to try and find food for them so it's you know it was on a lot of levels, it was a scary situation. Like there was nobody hurt for her to call if he didn't come back, but she starts like playing kitty in a corner and drawing little um designs on the windows and the frosty window panes. Mm-hmm. So she worked to make the atmosphere cheerful instead of complaining. And, and it is like, as moms, we just feel like we have this right to complain. Like it is hard and yeah. we feel very legitimate about complaining about our lives. And some of that is needed. You know I mean? Sometimes we just need a friend to vent to, but I think the danger comes when we either vent in front of our children and then they, they feel like they are just total screw ups because we talked about how difficult it is to be their mom or when we do it constantly, you know, and just really kind of change our own perspective. It's back to that speaking words of life and perspective. We could look at the beauty in our lives and acknowledge that, or we could constantly focus on the hard. And I think that what we focus on really changes our, our enjoyment level of what we have. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I mean, you have so many good takeaways in each of these chapters and um, you know, one of them in that one was don't always see what's missing. Uh, and, and I like what you just said about the um, you know, the little things that she did really made a difference. And I noticed that in the book about um, where they were lost at sea. So I haven't read that one. So that one's on my list now. Um, and Shackleton. One yes. of my favorites. I love that book. Okay. So All right. So that yeah. one's now on my list. But they are lost at sea. And one of the things that you had said was that um, they did all these little things, singing songs and playing pranks. And, um, and that it, it sort of gave me this hope that and reminder that little things really add up and and yeah. they really matter. Yeah, it's interesting because I know like that is one thing. A lot of modern moms, we are worried about giving our children direction. Like, you know, there's that we're listening to all this information on both sides, right? And so we know that we probably should give our children more free time, more time outside. But then I think some of us don't give our children any direction and that can leave them a little bit. Um, confused or listless also. And that's what was happening in my own home is I, I felt guilty about some mom mistakes I had made. And so I stopped giving almost any direction. I was letting there be too much free time and too little kind of vision and too little like, Hey, this is where we're going. We're going places. And it actually caused some stress in my home, some fear in some of my younger Mm -hmm. kids. And so as I read that book, The Endurance, where, you know, they're all trapped, there's no way to get home. It was 1917. So no way to, no way to communicate with anybody, no way to get their. I mean, they were done. They were, their ship sank 
and they were on an iceberg. But the leader of that expedition really was a leader. He was a leader. And so he would, you know, if the men looked discouraged, he would make them haul the boat somewhere. Or if they were discouraged, he'd have a song and dance night and they would sing or play their fiddles. Like he really kept them moving towards a vision and kind of kept a, a, a finger on the atmosphere. And I think that is really important for us as moms to just, you know, be observers of our children, be observers of the atmosphere. Like, are our kids feeling kind of directionless? Are our kids stressed because they have too much on their plate? You know, uh, if we can pay attention and be observers, then we'll know which adjustment needs to be made. Like, do they need more free time or do they need more direction? Which one is it? We won't know unless we observe our kids. Right. And that he didn't get stuck in shame, you know, because if he was the captain of the boat and the boat sank or, you know, we had these issues that, you know, that would kind of be on him or, you know, of course, in life, there's all sorts of obstacles. But you say he kept moving forward despite his mistakes and and that that's something that that we need to do as as a parent is to continue to move forward. I can't wait to read all these books. Yeah, I love that you noticed that because I think that is such a tendency for us as moms is to make a mistake yesterday and then get stuck in shame. And that was what had happened to me is I I did feel ashamed of the mistakes I'd made with some of my older kids. And so I kind of just like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm not going to do anything. And, you know, so I think it is important or, or sometimes we get stuck in our parents' mistakes. Like our parents made some mistakes with us. So we try to do the exact opposite or we're like, well, they were to this. And so we're not going to do anything or we're going to do this. So I think, you know, and that is the chapter where I talk about forgiveness, which I feel like Mm. is one of the key um, life lessons for me for just having a clear filter is being very active about forgiving people so that I'm not victimized by the past. Yeah. And forgiving ourselves. Absolutely. Talk about too, which is something that has to happen because we make a lot of mistakes. Yeah. Um, Eating better is easy with Factors delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember to sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop 
mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. I think one of the biggest questions that we ask ourselves as parents is, am I doing enough? And I love how you went about this one in the book, Understood Betsy. And interesting. So, you know, it's neat. (laughs) I tell you what, Jen, there's something about reading a book that a friend wrote because you learn all sorts of things about them. (laughs) And I remember, I remember you saying that before it came out, you, you said, oh, you know, I'm really putting out my life in this book and everyone's going to read it. And I kind of thought, oh, well, I mean, what could she really put in there? And I was like, okay, I'm learning a whole lot about <laughs> Jen. And that's really kind of a, a really special, unique thing when your friend writes a book. But um, you talked about that you grew up as a middle child of five, which I didn't know. And we have five kids too. So our middle is, is a boy, Charlie. And you said you often felt invisible. Um and that there were holes. There were holes in your childhood. I mean, there's holes in everyone's childhood. There was, there's holes in my own kid's childhood. But this this thing of am I doing enough? And you talk about how kids are unique, basically. And you have this cool quote. David learns to read at age four, Rachel at age nine. In normal development, when both are 13, you can't tell which one learned first. The five-year spread means nothing at all. So how do we deal with this fear of am I doing enough? Um, is my kid falling behind all of that stuff? Yeah, that, that was a John Taylor Gatto quote. And I think it was you, you told me that he also said that everything you need can be learned in 50 hours of basic instruction. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like that. I mean, that right there should be so freeing for us as parents. And I mean, it's not that we do nothing with our kids. It's that we choose what we do. Instead Mm -hmm. of feeling like I have to tack on my outside time on top of six hours of schoolwork and homework, we choose to do something different. We choose to, you know, and I don't know how you work it out if you are in a system that's making you do homework every night. Maybe you said, you know what? Someone just posted and they said they, they told the teacher, I think it was for elementary, we don't do homework in our house. And the teacher said, okay. Yeah. She posted and she was totally surprised, but the response was just like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the last two years have really upended the school system in a lot of ways where they, for many different reasons, can't require the same level of commitment that they might have been trying to in the past. And so maybe there is more freedom for parents to say, you know, we don't do homework in our house. We spend the afternoon playing outside. And if you can't teach my kid in six hours a day, then, then, you know, we'll do it ourselves. But um, yeah, I think that it is important to evaluate what's important to you and understand what what you want, because the stuff that our kids need to learn is so easy. You know, they need to know how to 
uh, they needed to know how to communicate beautifully. That can come through reading beautiful books and talking about them, or it could come from hours of reading comprehension workbooks. You choose. Uh, we need to, you know, our children need to know how to use math and how to learn and, and go deeper with concepts. We can do that with doing some math every day and exposing them to maybe some Khan Academy or finding the resources that you need if you don't, if you're not good at that. But it doesn't have to take 12 years of hours every day instruction. Right. And, and those are the basic things our children need to learn because almost everything else, like if they have a science interest, if they have a history interest, you know, obviously there's some basic civics that our children need to learn, but so much of that could be taught quickly with books, with Googling something like there are so many ways to learn now. So I, I, I think that we definitely don't need to stress about our children keeping up or about standards. We, we do need to recognize how easy it is to educate a child and start doing the education based on what they need and what works for our family instead of trying wow. to conform to a system that's not working that well. What a statement, Jen, how easy it is to educate a child. And I think culturally, we wouldn't look at it that way. We look at it as, you know, nails on a chalkboard and, and butting heads and trying to get kids to do things that they don't want to do. But, you know, it's interesting. We just had, okay, so our oldest just went to camp for the first time. And he came home with a girl's address. And so uh, and so he's been writing letters. And I thought, this is fantastic. I mean, he's writing like page, the back, the whole thing. You know, so you, in life, I think in the context of life, and I love what you said about let's read books together. Let's bake bread. Let's start businesses. Let's, let's build gardens. Let's involve kids in our own adventures. You know, when we do these things, educational opportunities, they just arise. So here's a way where, you know, I've got a kid that's intrinsically motivated to have good handwriting, you know, and to write full legible sentences. And, and I'm not having to push for that at all. So it's neat to see that in the course of life. And you've been sowing the seeds. Like I think Plato says that no learning can happen by compulsion. So all along, you've been reading books to this child and you guys have been talking about things. You've been spending time in nature. And now that he's motivated, he's writing a bunch. And probably mm -hmm. before this, it was a little bit hard to get him to write a paper, you know? Right. I was so surprised, Jen. It was so long. You know, yeah. he comes home from camp and he writes the letter immediately. And it's a, I mean, it's more than he's probably ever written. You know, for you know, uh, especially on his own accord. So uh, it's really, it's really neat to see those things unfold. And I love that yeah. you address the fear of am yeah, I doing enough? It's so important. Like um, the you know, children learn fast when they're ready, right? Mm -hmm. So if you you know, so you've had so many of these great people on your on your podcast, Peter Gray. They learn fast when they're ready for the concept. So you could spend years in the early years doing phonics and math worksheets, or you could spend years in the early years playing outside and reading beautiful books and baking together and doing art and looking at art and planting gardens and writing and reading a little bit. And then, and then they're going to be exactly the same at 13 years old as the child who spent years sitting at a desk, tediously copying out words. Yeah. And how sad to steal our children's, like the joy of childhood and all the innovation and imagination and creativity that comes when they have a little bit of time to explore. Yeah. Isn't it interesting? I think, you know, as we go down the down the chain, down the different kids, it's like our youngest is six. And so I'm really um, exploring this idea of can, would, can she learn to read and write just in the context of daily living? Because that's what some of the books say. 
you know, so I'm watching it unfold. And and if it doesn't work, I'll just fall back. I always do that, teach your child to read in 100 easy lessons, and it and has worked okay for our kids. But um, I'm, I'm holding off to do that book. And so she came in the other day, and she says, um, I need to write off limits. <laughs> she has, like, these toys that she doesn't want anyone else to touch. So she's like, uh, tell me how to tell me how to spell off limits. You know, so then we're just talking through. It's like the, f- you know, what letter do you think that is? And um, so just interesting. It's interesting when you step back and observe, you see that they're drawn to learn. Like there's so many fun and easy ways to encourage literacy. Like we would play a game where I would make up word labels like um, bed or chair or desk. And then the kids would go put them by the, the item or, or we would, I would write down action words and they would have to read the action word and then act it out. So there are so many ways that we can just integrate literacy into the normal part of our lives, which is part of my curriculum is a little more natural integration of writing and math instead of, you know, tedious worksheets, do it with play, make it fun. Yeah. And it just, it, I'm seeing it just pop up. The other day she says, I know how to spell no, N-O. And I'm like, oh, well, then you also know how to spell so, you know, and you can kind of just interweave and, um, and it's real fun. It feels a little scary, but I'm trying. I'm trying yeah. it. Well, I'm trying. I read. A, I read quite a few Montessori books in my, you know, over my years of homeschooling, and that's a lot of what they do in a Montessori classroom. Is they just, you know, they offer word cards for the kids to copy, or they offer room labeling, and then so there's some choice in how the kids are learning. They get to be a little bit motivated about it instead of the teacher directing everything. So I, I really like, you know, when we can continue to move our children along and help them grow, but do it in ways that appeal to them and that get them excited about learning. It's so much more effective and more fun. And I think childhood should be fun. Like our children should feel like we enjoy them. You know, you think about what could happen to the world if people felt like someone loved them and enjoyed them. Like if they felt like they were a delight, what could happen in the world? It could be amazing. That's so beautiful. Um, I loved I loved um, in the Cheaper by the Dozen book, you talk about habits, which is something that I, I definitely struggle with. I, I, love, um, I love rhythm, and I felt like before we had kids, I had a decent rhythm and then lost it. And I've, I've really ever since had a hard time finding my footing because it does feel like different things come up. It's like you get out of the season where you're not sleeping through the night, and then you're busy in these other ways. And so um, I've had a h- hard time finding my footing really for over a decade. You talk about disorienting experiences in that chapter of Cheaper by the Dozen. And I think parenting is very disorienting and constantly <laughs> changing and you get thrown these curveballs. And so tell us about this this book, this chapter about habits really um, inspired me. And is I've been thinking a lot about it, breathe a lot of life into our family, I think. So talk to us about about habits. Yeah. I mean, they are so important for getting stuff done because if we're constantly bogged down by the basics, you know, like instructing our children in picking up their clothes or getting their teeth brushed, it's hard to move on to acquiring new skills. And, and so a lot of, you know, a lot of, for us as moms, our lives run on habits. Like if we can 
get some of the basics under control, like we do a load of laundry every day or something, then then we have more time to go outside and play or our life just feels more manageable when we have some good habits. But I, I'm a spontaneous person. I love people. I'm not the best at habits either. It's really hard for me sometimes to stay focused. But I saw this book, um, the book that I used as an example was called Cheaper by the Dozen. And it's a family with 12 kids and they were efficiency experts. And there's probably a lot that we would disagree with this family on in terms of ideology. But it was just so amazing to watch this dad think of something he wanted his kids to learn and then find a way to communicate it. And, you know, they learned how to read Braille and type quickly and learn foreign languages because he was just constantly thinking about how to in, inspire his children with new information. And so it made me want to, you know, because that's the thing about habits. It's like, if you get some of the basics, then you could have a habit of reading Spanish to your children every day, or you could have a habit of spending 20 minutes nature journaling every day as we build, you know, we mm-hmm. habits are built upon. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of, I have a habit tracker. We have a chore and routine pack at the Peaceful Press that has like a habit tracker for moms. Cause I think so often it's us reinforcing things as well as like little chore cards for the kids and a checklist. And I love you gave me the rich habits checklist, which is an incredible just list of things to work on while you're raising your kids. And it's easy stuff, but sometimes we just don't, if we don't have that prompt, you know, like with the chore and routine pack, a little picture prompt or with the rich habits list, just a list to work through. It's hard for us to remember the good things we want to teach our children. Yeah. I really liked how you had in the book a list of habits that you might want to include. I thought that was actually really helpful because sometimes it's overwhelming to think about even what habits do you want. (laughs) And so you go through just different ideas of things that you want to learn or um, things that you want to make sure that you you keep in your daily routine or weekly routine, or I like this, like try a new recipe. I mean, every year I'm, I want to go through a cookbook. You know, that's what I always think, like start to finish, but I don't do it. You know, I get, you know, a couple recipes in and, and I don't do it. And so you had some really interesting things in there about, I do think that sometimes we do freeze. You say fear causes us to freeze and and we do nothing and the more chaotic that makes our life even more chaotic i have felt that you know you wake up and if you don't have good habits and you don't have a plan for the day you're kind of like ah, well, you know what am i going to do and you had a beautiful thing in there about simply do the next best thing but um and that habit tracking it it reminds you of how far you've come right for sure you know and i like i'm going to show you something real quick sorry reaching um every year i I set up like a list of goals and you know, things that we want to learn or try or books to read, um, some goals for personal growth, physical health. And then each month in my planner, I, you know, I'll map that out this, <laughs> this month happens oh. to be a little empty, but um, you got a book launch this month. So that's okay. <laughs> yes, this is the, this is the heavy work month, but mm-hmm. yeah. So, you know, having something written down, like when we write down the habits we want to work on, or we write down the goals that we have, I think it gives us some direction. And and obviously in our life with small children, the most important thing is being responsive to them. You know, so, and I know like for you, you had five kids in this really short amount of time. So it is hard in that season when you're so physically tapped out to think about what you want to do next. But, you know, having, I mean, just having somewhere where you write something down is so helpful for 
moving forward. And, and, you know, we all have a different purpose. It's okay to be, to be different, but I think having, you know, even a small goal, like today, I'm going to make my bed or today. I'm gonna it is cook a big dinner. thing though. There was that lady for a long time. I think like right when blogs took off, she was called the fly lady or something. Yeah, oh yeah. And she's finally still love yourself. And she yes. was big. I mean, she was, I think one of the biggest ones there at yeah. the beginning. She still is, which is crazy. Yeah. But it was about habits. It was about clearing your, clearing yeah, your, your shoes sink on. at night. Clean yeah. your sink at night. Yes. Yeah. Clean your sink at night. Yeah. That these yeah. things really make a big difference. So, and I just love how you weave it with the stories, like the cheaper by the dozen. I, um, I've never read little britches, but I, oh. I teared up even just reading your little blurb from it. Yeah. Um, you say um, the father had passed away and then you have this quote. It says, Ralph Moody describes their summer, their supper. That first supper was most memorable. You know, he talks about the food. Father had always said grace before the meals, always the same 25 words and the ritual was always the same. Mother would look around the table to see that everything was in readiness. Then she would nod to father. That night she nodded to me and I became a man. Uh, yeah. Like that's a, yes, I know. <laughs> Those wow. That's a, like, it's been so sweet because with, in the last six years of the peaceful press, we've actually read a lot of these books as part of our curriculum. So this, you know, we read that whole series the year before last. And I mean, it's just, it's an incredible series for loving your life, for learning a work ethic. It's an amazing there's several books in that series, but yeah, I mean, he, you know, his family had these beautiful rituals. And so even when their father passed away, they still, the family closeness and the values, the character that had been instilled was still there. Same with the railway children. Another book I talk about, you know, the family had an identity and they had values that were important to them. And so even when life circumstances changed, there was consistency about those values. And I think, you know, it's so, you know, when my husband and I were a young couple with just three little kids, we have seven children now and they're, they're old, <laughs> they're 13 to 28. So when we had just three little kids, we wrote down kind of a family vision and writing that down has helped us all these years. We've been married 32 years in September to awesome. really stay close to those important values. Like our values as a family have never changed. We've always cared about spending time outside. That's still our favorite recreation. We've always cared about helping the poor. That's still, you know, my husband and daughter just got back from helping an unwed mom's home in Mexico. You know, so the values that we had then are consistent with our lives. And that's a legacy. You know, when we start to develop our values, our habits, it becomes a legacy for our family. Mm -hmm. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. 
If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 1000 hours. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chop's hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chop's price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com slash outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com slash outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com slash outside120 code outside 120. And it's interesting because a lot of the concepts you can see weave through all of the books. So when you're talking about little britches, you know, this is a chapter about comparison. It's a chapter about gratitude, but you see how that habit, you know, that saying grace at the meal and the, you know, the 21 words that he said or whatever it was that helped to sustain them through the next day and, um, and through the times to come. I liked what you talked about with comparison. You're saying I, I wasn't, you can talk about comparison. A lot of times we compare only one direction, right? You know, we're only comparing ourselves to this mom who looks like this and who has this and all these different things, but we're not comparison, comparing the other way. And I had heard this um, quote, I think I read it one time. It said, you know, and I mean, it's not completely true, but it was something like, you know, at any point in your life, you're within 20 minutes of a hospital full of people who would gladly exchange places with you. I thought, wow, you know, that is really true. You got people that are, you know, living in the the depths of the depths and and, and in such hard places. And so um, this ch- this chapter, you talk a lot about comparison and looking at people around us and, you know, how does that affect our, our mothering on our parenting? Oh, it's the worst. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't think we would be so, I don't think we'd always be saying, am I doing enough if we weren't comparing? And it's not, you know, the problem is we don't compare the whole picture. Like, you know, one mom, her kids are doing great in music. They're playing in the symphony. It's incredible. But she might have a horrible, filthy house. She might, you know, now they might never go outside and play. There might be every other area in chaos, but then we're going to feel like, oh, my house is clean and we go outside every day, but I also need to have children who play in the symphony. Do you know what I mean? So we, we put all these expectations on ourselves based on the best of other people based on somebody Mm. else's highlight reel instead of, you know, and that, that is where vision comes back in again, is just, we have to know our purpose so that we can stay focused on that because there'll always be somebody doing better than us. And, and, you know, I let myself, I mean, that happens to me now. Like I've been at this, I've been aware of this for a long time and I can still see somebody else doing something amazing and feel like, oh, I should be doing more. But I always go back 
you know, what's our vision? <laughs> you put in the book, I actually like laughed out loud that you yes. said someone said to you that you have the worst case of FOMO. You <laughs> said one of your friends said it to you. And I thought, mm -hmm. oh, that's funny. You know, yes. like, and especially when our friends really, um, they really observe us and they know us and they feel like they can say the thing. And then you talked about someone else who was doing some sort of a gala. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like every day there'll be somebody who's doing something better than us. And if we, if we um, make our lives and the, pro the here's the problem, the problem is when we get down on ourselves and feel like a failure because we're not doing something, you know, who really suffers? It's our kids because they feel like, oh, it's my fault. I'm not good enough. I can't make my mom happy. I can't please my parents. I'm the problem. Is that crazy? Like we're unhappy because we feel like we're not doing well enough for our kids. And then it makes mm. them feel like they're the cause of our unhappiness. So wow. it's tough. It's hard to like, it's, it's almost like you have to make a habit of happiness. Yeah. So you said, my fear of not meeting the needs of my children caused me not to meet their needs. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I never thought about that before. Yeah. Amazing. And I, I, with the, when people pre-order the book, there's a course that my daughter and I made. And she says that in there, you know, basically the problem is when we as moms are constantly down on ourselves and feeling like failures, our kids take it that they're not performing well enough. Wow. Yeah. That's important to know. I would have never thought about that at all. Yeah, you had such a bummer. beautiful, <laughs> speaking of your daughter, you had such a beautiful note from your daughter at the oh. end. I know. Oh, that was in the part about singing songs, uh -huh. which what a cool, what a cool chapter that was. And then it also weaves through because with the, you know, with the shipwreck, they also were singing songs and shanties. Uh, you say, well, tell us about singing. You know, it's interesting because Ella's such a beautiful singer and I've not met your older kids, I'm sure. Um, and I'm sure it doesn't even matter how you sing, but uh, Nothing. It doesn't. That. Yeah, singing is singing is proven to release serotonin. It calms wow. us down. And there have been times, you know, I I want so badly to be one hundred percent free from fear. And it's a journey. It's not. It's like peeling an onion. It's not something that happens all at once. And sometimes, as moms, we're in this like stressed place where it's so intense, we can't even do the practices that would help us. You know, we are so. Um, we are so intensely under pressure that it is hard to take our thoughts captive or, you know, practice the good habits or whatever it is. But what has helped me in those moments is singing. And sometimes like in the book, I talk about this song that I sing. It's like, ho, 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 Hosanna. Like it's this really silly song, but it makes you um, vocalize the sounds of laughter. Hmm. And so even when you're like so crazy with stress, vocalizing the sounds of laughter is like a valve. It's a release valve, wow. you know? And, and so in that, in that chapter, I talk about some of the research around singing, but that's the deal. I mean, when we cannot do anything, sometimes the best thing to do is just sing. Yeah. And I love how you end, that's how you end the book with that chapter and the, and the, the book that you reference is the door in the wall, but it's so light and it's such a reminder that, simple things can make such a big difference. Um, goodness, there's so much in here, Jen. I really, I just, I loved it. Uh, Babies is one of the chapters we talk about. The book is actually called Baby. Um, and, and I think, goodness, those years are hard. 
you know, you're so exhausted and sometimes you don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. It feels like it's lasting forever. You have such beautiful things in there, though. You say, the days of having an infant look at me as if I was the most beautiful woman in the world are long gone. You know, and it is so true. They do just stare up at you and then they don't do that anymore. In fact, we were just at a wedding this past weekend. And, you know, I'm like, I think I got some good dance moves. You know, yes. I'm like, I can I can do that. You know, here I am. And, you know, I'm getting the weirdest looks from my kids. So, you know, the looks change. But how did the book Baby help you? Uh, yeah, it's, it's mama by, um, Patricia Mc Clocklin, Sarah McLaughlin, right? I'm like, there's a singer and there's art, the, <laughs> yes, Patricia yes. McLaughlin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, so the book is Baby. She's a beautiful writer. She also wrote the book, Sarah Plain and Tall. Okay. And um, she's a real lyrical writer. So her books are just so lovely. But it's about a family who has lost an infant. They had an infant pass away. Mm-hmm. And then they ended up having a child just dropped on their doorstep that they have to take care of. And or they choose to take care of. I mean, they could have done something else, but they choose to take care of that baby. And they almost look at it as this redemptive opportunity to redo something that was lost. And so they really start to celebrate that baby and they, you know, they sing to the baby and they dance with the baby and they, you know, they they just slow down their lives a little bit to treasure that baby. Hmm. And it was such a beautiful example to me because like with my first couple of kids, I was always ready for the next season. Like I wanted to see them talk and I wanted to see them walk. And it was this kind of rushing through it. But then by the time I had my fourth, I thought, you know what? This could be my last. Mm. We don't know. I didn't know. And so I would say that poem. Um, yeah. It's the poem for a fifth child. I what, love it. What she calls it. The babies yeah. don't keep. Yes, cobwebs one of my keep favorites. silent, um, dust go to sleep, I'm rocking my baby, and babies don't keep. Yeah. And it's just, it was just a precious reminder to me, you know what, they don't, it doesn't last. I mean, this is, an, this is a miracle season. This season of rocking a baby and looking and watching them go from being like an infant that just sleeps all the time, to a baby that smiles and laughs, to a toddler that is talking to you, it is fast. Yeah. And it is once in a lifetime. You'll never be able to go back and recapture that wonder. Mm-hmm. And so why not just like slow your life down? There's so many things that are not important in the baby years, like a perfectly clean house, not important. Um, Instagram worthy decor, super not important. A new outfit every day for everybody, not important. You know, I mean, there's there are so many things that are really not important. But what is important is, you know, getting on the floor and reading together and looking at each other in the eyes, like the bonding that comes just from looking your baby in the eyes. Mm-hmm. You can't go back and redo yeah. that. I love um, that part. I love that poem. And it's so interesting because, you know, it it gives light to the fact that it does sort of take a while to learn that that those years fly by and that you know, I think there's a little bit of fear there too. Are they going to hit the next milestone? You know, other kids are hitting it and, and mine is, uh-huh. you know, when will my baby be crawling or walking or that th- that sort of thing? But, you know, if you can take this advice from mothers who've been there, 
it says in there, where is the mother whose house is so shocking? You know, <laughs> she's up in the nurse, nursery blissfully rocking. And it is so beautiful. And you say it's a messy dance trying to maintain a life while still being present with our children. You talk about, I think, phones in there. Like, look at your babies. Look at your kids. Yeah, yeah. and it is hard. I mean, I did not, there was no cell phones when I had my first several children. So I didn't get my first, like, iPhone or get on Instagram or something until my youngest was maybe five or six. So I had, you know, 20 years just about of parenting without cell phones, but I could still distract myself. Like I read the whole Lord of the Rings series while I was nursing my fifth child. So, you know, the, I could still distract myself in other ways. I still failed in many ways, but I think it's even harder for us as moms to pull ourselves in and choose to look our babies in the eyes or choose to listen when they talk to us, as opposed to just staying connected with the outside world, which is fun. It's an easy escape. I think, I think for me, you know, what the phone could be or became was a little bit of an escape. And that's the thing we have to discard against. Like it's easier sometimes to get appreciation from the people out on Instagram than it is to get appreciation from a toddler who's like peeing on the floor every half hour when they're right. supposed to be in the toilet. You know? Right. For sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think even I've noticed for myself, it's harder to um, it's easier to reconnect when I'm reading a book than if I'm on my phone. It's something about pulling out of that. It's really so I found that a book is a big difference than, yeah. you know, so if we're out at the park and I have a book, it's just um, it's more seamless to sort of come in yeah. and out of of that it's world. True. It's true. As it's a different to, you know, kind of a loop. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness, there's so much more in here. You talk about all of a kind family, about how traditions help us anchor as a family. You talk about the Jewish Sabbath, which we've tried over the years, and it really is an anchor. It's a physical anchor to your week. And yeah, I think it's just so important, whatever your family values are, to have some of those anchors and traditions because it helps. It builds memories for our children. I think those memories are, are are big anchors for them when they become adults and you see them start to build their own life. It is those, you know, traditions that you kept as a family that become anchors for them. Mm -hmm. and, and in that chapter, you talk about making it fun. I think sometimes, you know, we've done this as a family. You try and approach some new tradition or we're going to do this thing. And then and then we're so serious about it. And then everyone hates it. You know, so it's about having fun and, and being a little more loose. Um, a loose that really helps it to stick. Uh, how about one more? How about the railway children? Yeah, in that book. So um, that was one that I, you know, read later in my family. It wasn't one that I'd read early on, but mm. the the dad gets put in jail for um, like a false accusation, and wow. so this family went from being wealthy and having a very comfortable life to having to live, you know. Um, in some small kind of, there was rodents and it was not a nice life. It was a big adjustment, but the mom really stayed consistent. And I think it's a good place to, you know, it's a good place for us to, to land is just the power of consistency. You know, when we can keep up whatever that good habit that we decided on, you know, whether the good habit is spending several hours outside every day or the good habit is reading out loud to our children or the good habit is looking our children in the eyes. When we can stay consistent with those small things, it really does build a life. And we don't see the results. I think our, the danger mm -hmm. is sometimes that 
when we're doing these good things and things are still hard or our kids are still melting down or we're not seeing the progress, it can be tempting to just give up that thing. But I think there's so much power in perseverance and just, you know, if we decide that something is good for our family and, you know, we, we know that we, it's on our heart. This is a good thing. It's going to be a blessing for our family. Then we just sometimes have to persevere with that. And that's what this family did. And, and everything worked out right in the end. And I think that, you know, that's the chapter I really talk about our family vision and how important it was for us to write that down early on in our journey so that my children had that anchor to hang on to. Mm-hmm. You had so many beautiful things. You'd weave together the book and then you'd bring in other things like we talked about earlier scripture, but also um, just different quotes. And and so many of them stuck out to me. You know, you have this quote about what if we stop celebrating being busy as a measure of importance? What if instead we celebrated how much time we spent listening, pondering, meditating, and enjoying time with the most important people in our life? And in that same chapter, you talk about the best way out is always through, um, through hardship. And and I loved this one. The truth is that a life well lived is always lived on a rising scale of difficulty. Yeah. Wow. It's a good reminder because, you know, as moms who are trying to be more intentional it would be the, the easier thing would be just to send our kids to school, let them do the homework and really check out hundred percent. That might be easy. It's not the rewarding and it's not the thing that will be, that will leave a legacy, not just for our children, but our world. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an element of the small things that we're doing as moms, valuing nature, having meals as a family, reading to our children every day. There's so much power in those small things for actually saving civilization, honestly, mm-hmm. saving culture. Yeah. And then you you touch on hardship quite a bit, you know, your own hardships. You um, you have the book, The Hiding Place and Freedom Train um, with Harriet Tubman. And just these, um, looking at these things that, well, you say, we've let our literary heroes pave the way and have stepped into our role as pioneers with them, paving a path through the wilderness of fear redeeming the years that fear has stolen, living a wild and beautiful life together. I just, I love that. I love the whole concept of the book, Jen. I, um, it's just such a unique one. And I, and I can't, I can't wait to dive into these other, these other books. Harriet Tubman was such an inspiration to me because she dealt with a lot of pain in her life. You know, she was injured by a cruel slave owner and, um, she just dealt with this intense, pain and and yet when she could have quit and stopped going back she could have just she was free she could have lived a comfortable life she kept going back risking her life for her people and i think you know in some ways as mothers this is the calling on our life is that we we keep doing the hard things we keep going back out in nature even when we feel like it's too cold out or it's too hot or it's too uncomfortable we keep you know reading out loud to our children we keep doing these things even though they're maybe a little bit harder because we're rescuing our children mm-hmm. that's so beautiful yeah we could have freedom but we keep going back in I just absolutely love this book. And I think as I, it's going to inspire me to read these other books that you wove through. And I think that's going to be really special for our school year coming up. Um, If you had to leave us with one thing, um, you know, a favorite book, uh, a favorite moment of writing the book, just something, what, what would it be? You know, I feel like the most important message from the book is to recognize that we're loved. 
And I think sometimes, unless we've done the work of forgiving the people who've made us feel unloved, it's hard for us to get there. You know, knowing that we're loved gives us the freedom to do silly things and to like, I, I wade with my kids in the creek. I wade by myself in the creek. Like I want to have fun in my life. I want to enjoy my life and be present and, and not worry about what people think. But I think we can't do that if we don't feel like we're a lovable person ourselves. If we're constantly trying to prove ourselves through our parenting, through our work, through our Instagram, whatever it is, if we're constantly trying to prove ourselves, we can't enjoy ourselves. And we can't help our children love their lives. And so I think, you know, the core value here would be recognize that you are loved, that you are precious, that you are a delightful person. But I think sometimes we can't get there until we've done the work of forgiving the people who made us feel unloved. And maybe that's even ourselves. Yeah, that's so important. Um, So, you know, we always end our podcast with a favorite outdoor childhood memory, but we've already done that once, Jen. So you talk a lot in your book about when you were a mom and the things that you did outside with your kids. So could you share something from your mothering years with young children, um, an outside hands-on memory that stuck with you? Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we go every week, like that's why we live where we live so that we can go to the rivers and go to the lakes. And it's just a constant regular practice for us. Cause that's where we find joy. But when my children, when I had five young children, we lived on 11 acres and there was a seasonal Creek and in, there was a, a fork in the Creek where there was a rock with a flat top. And I would take all my five children down to that little rock and I would sit on the rock and I would read out loud and they would splash in the creek or they would, you know, have photos of them like in their underwear splashing in that creek while I read out loud. And it's, it's a precious memory for me and my children. And we, you know, we've just continued to work towards, because the thing about being out in nature is it's really easy to be fully present, especially for us. Thank God there aren't 5G towers everywhere. So we can actually be present and not have the distraction of our phones, but it's just, you know, it's, it's a, it's a sparkling memory for me that we took the time to just sit down there and enjoy each other and be by the water. And that's such beautiful imagery. And it's a reminder that our kids don't have to be sitting still, you know, while we read aloud to them, we can do it in all sorts of different environments, just keeping a book with us as we adventure. I think that's so beautiful. Jen, congrats. The book is mothering by the book, the power of reading aloud to overcome fear and recapture joy. Uh, Where can people find it? Yeah, it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere books are sold. But if you go to my page, motheringbythebook.com, there's a place where you can uh, add some free bonuses, like uh, an extra book list and um, a family vision kind of intentional life planner. And then this course that my daughter and I recorded. Oh, it's so beautiful. Well, thanks so much, Jen. I Thank loved you, reading Jenny. it. I oh. love that it's sending me down a path toward other things. You know, I think that's a really neat thing about a book when it opens your world toward other things. So I've got all these other books to read throughout the year, books for myself and books to read with our family. And so I'm so grateful. Oh, thank you, Jenny. I just so I appreciate what you're doing so much. You're such an inspiration. And I love you. You're so dear. I love you. Thanks, Jen. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. 
two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking.